including us. Most churches do too much. We could probably cut out about half of what we're doing and our church would be healthier. Instead, this one thing I do, it's these 40 things I've decided to do. I dabble in. We kind of diffuse our energy. Now, when I say that, y'all get jumpy, don't you? You say, well, you quit stuff, stuff, stuff I like, right? And the hardest thing to do is to start trimming back on what you do. Now, I've done this before. I was at a 70-year-old church in Canada, a different culture, a different climate, a different denomination. And I said to them, I said in a leadership meeting, I said, y'all, we're doing stuff we ought not to do. And they said, well, what do you think we ought not to do? I said, I ain't telling you. <laughs> y'all throw me out of the country. But you know what? We should take an inventory of what we're doing, don't you think? And say, well, what are we doing that's helpful? What are we doing that's not helpful? What are we doing that's building people? What are we just kind of dabbling in? What are, we, what are we doing? What if we brought all our energies together? What could we do for the global glory of God? And so we try to focus on connecting, growing, serving, and sharing, and honoring God. So everything should line up with those purposes, don't you think? And that's hard to do. And we're not good at it. We're not even begin to mess with it. But efficiency is doing things right. A lot of churches do this. Effectiveness is doing the right things. The right things. And that's what makes us different. A church that forgets the ultimate is the ultimate becomes a slave to the immediate. So we need to focus. Number four, it attracts cooperation. People want to join a church that knows where it's going. That you want to be a part of it. It's easier to get people on board when they know that there's a destination. Have you ever boarded the wrong plane? I've seen people do it. They'll announce this plane's going and say, oh, they get up and get off. Because they'll end up where they don't want to go, right? Do you hear about the, the lady who got on plane and she sat down in first class? And the stewardess came by and she said, excuse me, ma'am, your, your ticket's not first class. She goes, I don't care, I'm beautiful and I'm going to sit in first class. And so she said, okay. And so she went and got another store. She said, excuse me, ma'am, your ticket's not in first class. It's in coach. You need to move back. She goes, I'm beautiful. I'm going to sit in first class. So they went and got the pilot. And the, the pilot came and said, ma'am, your ticket is, says it's coach and you're sitting first class. She says, I'm beautiful. I'm going to New York and I'm sitting in first class. He said, ma'am, this uh, first class is not going to New York. You have to go back there. be better if I told it better, right? Okay. It attracts cooperation. Ezra said this, tell us how to proceed in setting things straight and we will fully cooperate. Paul told the Philippians, you have helped me in the work of the gospel. Why did they help him? Because the, the Philippian church was attracted to Paul's vision. He knew where he was going and they wanted to help him get there. Proverbs eleven twenty seven. If your goals are good, you will be respected. Tell people up front where this church is headed. If they want to get on board, they'll get on board. If they don't, there's a lot of other churches they could join. Define our purpose keeps people from joining our church with false assumptions. It weeds out those with hidden agendas. <gasps> Would anybody ever join First Baptist Church with a hidden agenda? Can I get a witness, Brother Richard? What about you, Brother Dunn? Yeah, hidden agendas. I remember I was, we started the church in Victoria and we were doing things and the guy kept saying, 
Well, you know, when I was a member of this church, we did that. And I was a member of this church, we did that. And I was a member of this church, we did that. I said, won't you go back and be a member of that church? Well, I left that, well, because he was divisive. You know what? His division there became my division with me. Huh. Be careful how quickly you greet people who come in with agendas. Love everybody, but keep both eyes on them, okay? Tell people up front, have you discovered that God loves you and everybody else has a wonderful plan for your life? Have you discovered that? As a pastor, I have. If we're accepting members of our church without clearly defining our purpose in advance, we get in trouble, particularly if they're coming from another church. I want to say this very loving, okay? Say this very loving. Heathens make great Christians. Baptists don't. And so we need to quit worrying about being Baptist, but being Christ-like. Now, what would I be if I wasn't a Baptist? I'd be ashamed. That's what I'd be. There's a Baptist preacher in my family in successive generations since the 1700s. Baptist born, Baptist bred, Southern Baptist until I'm dead. That's just the way it is. But the deal is, it's not about the denomination, is it? It's about the Bible and being what God wants us to be. Number five. It assists elimination, examination, excuse me. <laughs> Examine yourselves to see <laughs> where, where you are in your faith. Test yourself. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. God's purposes must be standard by which we, we evaluate our programs and our growth. We, we ought to, nothing what we ought to, are we doing what we ought to be doing? There are only two questions in church growth and church health is this, the same one. What is our business and two, how's business? That is, what is the business of the church and how's our business? So what is the biblical foundation of a building lives church? Here it is. It's the great commandment and the great commission gives us the five building lives commitments. The five building lives commitments. The great command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. The Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do everything I've commanded you. Five building life commitments of the church are these. Two of them are in the Great Commandment, and then the next three are in the Great Commission. Love the Lord your, love God with all your heart. That's honor, that's, that's honor. The biblical word for honor. Anytime you're expressing love to God, you're honoring God with all your heart. Doesn't matter if you're in a group or by yourself. When you love God with all your heart, you're honoring him. You're honoring him. Two, love your neighbor as yourself. Serve. The word, uh, the word is serve. Anytime you express love to somebody else in the name of Jesus, even a cup of cold water, it's called ministry. So we get the principles of worship or honor and ministry serving from the great commandment. Now the other three are in the great commission. Go and make disciples. That's share. That's share. We go out and reach people for Jesus. We share the love of God in word and deed. Number four, we baptize them. That's connect. Baptism is a symbol of the one of the purposes of the church. It's a symbol that says you are one of us. We're incorporated into the rescued. You're part of God's family. It's the signature of the covenant. It's the symbol not only of a new life and salvation, it's all the symbol of that you belong to this family. It is our public profession of faith. Baptism. Baptism. Trent, you were baptized, what, 
three weeks ago, four weeks ago, in the creek. Y'all look at Trent. Wave your hand, Trent, so they can see you. Right there. He's our new brother. He's our new brother. Baptized in the creek. <clears throat> He's part of us. Five, teaching them to do, grow. That's, that's, uh, that is growing. Growing in order to become like Jesus is more than just knowing what Jesus said. A true disciple puts it into practice. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. We grow by teaching them to do. So we have connect, we have honor, serve, share, connect, and grow. So Jesus' ministry modeled all five of those purposes and all five of those, those life commitments. In John 17, Jesus shows us those. Uh, in Acts chapter two, it shows all five of those. Paul explained these five commitments in Ephesians 4. He also talked about them in Colossians 3. Isaiah 61 gives us those five life commitments as well. It's all through the Bible. Now, look at John 17 real quick. We're just going to look through this really quickly. Verse 4, I brought you glory on earth. That's honor. Verse 6, I reveal to you those who, whom you gave me out of the world. That's share. Number 8, verse 8, I gave them the words you gave me. That's grow. While I was with them, I protected them and kept themselves from harm. That's connect. In verse 18, as you sent me to the world, I'm sending them into the world, and that's serve. So the first church fulfilled all those five commitments in Acts uh, 4, Acts 2, 42 through 47. Those who accept his message were baptized. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's grow and spiritual maturity. And to fellowship. That's connecting into the fellowship. And to the breaking of bread and prayer. All believers were together. That's unity, by the way. They gave it to everyone who had a need. That's serving in ministry. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. That's honor. That's a life of worship. And the Lord added to their numbers daily who were being saved. That's share. That's evangelism. Did y'all know that it was in there? It's amazing, isn't it? This is what God has. Now, some of you are saying, well, Scott, you're practicing hermeneutical calisthenics. No, I'm practicing good biblical exegesis. This is what the word says. And this is what we're about. All I'm doing is bringing light to what God wants to have light on. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. I won't take you through that, but they're there as well. So to summarize, the church exists to celebrate God's presence, that's honor, worship as a lifestyle. Number two, communicate God's word, that's share through being on mission. Number three, incorporate God's family, that's connected into fellowship. Educating God's people, that's growth to spiritual maturity. And then demonstrate God's love, and that's serve God by serving God people or serving others. Did we go too fast? Y'all need to repeat those? Okay, show those slides again real quick. I'm going to take a drink of Dr. Pepper. Here we go. Celebrate God's presence. Communicate God's word. Incorporate God's family. Educate God's people. And then finally, demonstrate God's love. Any questions or thoughts about those five? Does that make sense? Is it like drinking out of a fire hydrant? Okay.
communicating our commitments. It's not enough to simply define our commitments. The number one task of leadership, and that's us, is to continue to clarify and communicate the commitments of the church family. This is the number one task of leadership. This is my number one task, is to keep you guys focused on the commitments God wants us to be focused on. Y'all hear me talk about all the time, connect, grow, serve, and share, right? Building lives that honor God. Y'all hear that all the time, don't you? And so it's my job to do that. So here's five ways we communicate that. Y'all can grin as I go through them. First of all, there's slogans. Every leader understands the power of a slogan. That's a phrase people can remember. Building lives that honor God. The shorter, the better. The shorter, the better. Uh, y'all, can y'all think of any slogans y'all know from TV? Commercials? I'm drinking a Dr. Pepper. What's the slogan of Dr. Pepper? 10, 2, and 4. And that's been 50 years ago. Yeah, that's what? Folgers Coffee, right? Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. A little dab of do ya. And in my state of hair, it's true. A very tiny dab will, will do you. Yeah, yeah. Y'all you know, see the power of, of slogans? People come to Jesus best on the armor of a trusted friend. All for Jesus. Make Jesus famous. Y'all you ever hear those slogans? All the time, right? Jesus, I'm yours. Those slogans they keep in front of us. Symbols. Great leaders understand the power of symbols and symbolism. For example, our nation's flag can make you feel patriotic. A cross can make you feel reverent. Uh, We use logos and symbols. Logos ought to say something, right? Do y'all know what our logo says? Wimberly Strong. That's not what it says, but that's not bad. Okay, this is our logo. Honor, connect, grow, serve, share, Wimberly. And so even when the words aren't there, that's what these dashes mean. Did y'all know they're different colors of blue? Why? Why are they blue? What's Wimberly noted for? Blue hole. Water. So our colors is, it's blue is our color. Also blue is a um, symbol of purity. Blue sky shining on me. So, see, so symbols, scriptures, every purpose, every principle, every program must have a scriptural basis. You share vision by sharing scripture that shows the vision. So we just went through all those scriptures that show our vision, right? Stories. Tell stories that illustrate the purpose of the church. Tell stories about people sharing. Tell stories about people honoring. Tell stories about connecting Uh, helping people connect. Stories help people visualize how their lives could be. When I teach this to other pastors, I tell stories about you. I tell stories about you. I tell stories about Brenda. I tell stories about the Howards. I tell stories about John Dunn. I tell stories about Richard Cheatham. I tell stories about you. Why? Because you're by heart. And it's stories how you're living out the purposes of God, how you're living out the commitments of God, how you're connecting and growing and serving and sharing and you're honoring God. I brag on you. You know who else I brag on? My grandkids. My children, occasionally, I brag on them. Y'all, you see what I'm saying? That we tell stories of how God is working. This, this fall, 
we're doing a series called This Is Us, and we're recording stories of life change. We're going to share with you. One guy that's life's been radically changed by Jesus is a guy named Brian DeMarco. He comes to our church. You can't miss him. He's 6'8". He's got a beard down to his belly button. He's a big old man, and God has worked in his life. And he's, I've got him on video. We're going to share his story. And it's a fascinating story and how you guys are a part of his story. His story. Specifics. Give specifics and say, this is how our church honors. This is how our church shares the love of God. This is how our church connects. Be specific about goals and programs and ideas. Do this in order to communicate the vision. Specifics. Hey, guys, why do we do parties with a purpose? Why do we do it? That's a slogan, by the way. Why do we do parties with a purpose? Communicate to help people get connected. To help people come and see Jesus and his people so they can want to become a part of his people. Wow. Why do you think we serve cookies and pigs in the blanket on Sundays? Why do we do that? Because y'all hungry? Cooking to connect. That's why these ladies have a ministry on Friday mornings. Thank God for them. Thank God for them. Why do we have coffee? Because that preacher's long-winded. Tell you why we have coffee. You put a cup of coffee in a man's hand, he has a shield. And he'll talk to you as long as he's got a cup of coffee in his hand. You take the coffee out of his hand, he's looking down and kicking dirt clods. You put a cup of coffee and he's going to talk to you. It's psychological. We do that. And also it helps you stay awake during those 50-minute sermons, right? Okay. These are the reasons. Now let's look at the existent, this existence statement. Building lives that honor God. Why? Because we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he, God, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2.10. Here's some ways God-honoring churches communicate the commitments to their congregation, our membership class, our messages, our emphasis. We print them on bulletins, articles, banners, logos, clothing, brochures, monthly pastor's coffees. We haven't done those. We, we might. Who knows? Sermons. Mary Katie says, I'm not in town long enough to have a coffee. Right, Mary Katie? You're teasing me about traveling. Yeah. But let me draw you this real quick. Are y'all having fun? Are you learning anything? Are you excited at all? Okay, good. All right, let me draw this for you. Now, some of y'all see me do this, but it's been a while. That you, I'm gonna draw the life cycle of the church, and hopefully this will be big enough for you to see. Well, it doesn't work. Let me try another color. Yeah, that'll work. Y'all see that? This is birth. And this is death. Uh, every church starts, and every organization, every relationship starts with a vision. There's a vision for why we start. And that vision is to bring global glory to God. That's why we started in 1884. That's when we started. That's when we were born. Okay? So we start with vision. Then out of the vision, we develop values. There's things we value. You see all the things on the wall? 
That's the things we value. We value holiness and prayer and authenticity, relationships, generosity, people, community, unity, environments, leadership, and excellence. We value those things. And so we've expressed that. Then we develop a a structure and systems to, to, to facilitate this vision and express those values. We, we start doing that. Then we start developing ministries, our programs that express our systems, our structure, our values, and values. And then you can call those objectives if you like. And then we're up here, we're living the dream. We're functioning that high level. We're healthy. We're vibrant. We're thriving. We're doing what pleases God. We're living the dream. When a church starts to die, this is what happens. The first thing they do, they start becoming nostalgic. They start looking back and remembering the good old days. Pastor, I remember when I knew everybody who came to church here. Now I don't even know who these people are. Y'all ever heard that, right? Y'all ever heard that? Yeah. And we should say hallelujah. You know, because you can only know about 54 people anyway. Did you know that? But after that, it's, everybody's a blur. Start looking back. I remember when I started Parkway Church, we were meeting in the mall. We were in a 10,000-square-foot space. We had two bathrooms with one commode in each bathroom with 600 people attending. You did not drink coffee when you went to church there. You know, it was just, we timed our services by the, the, the digestion process of a, co- of a cup of coffee. And I remember we moved into our new building and we had, the women's bathroom had 10 stalls in it, just in the women's bathroom. And I heard people say, Pastor, I remember we were in the mall. We were such a wonderful, close-knit family. And all I had to do is say, remember the bathrooms? Go, hallelujah for our new building. Yeah. <laughs> Look it back. Then the next thing that happens, and this is something Wyatt will tell you, that Wyatt, I'm constantly working on this, aren't I? Studying it and analyzing it and saying, kind of, where are we? The next thing is you become polarized, listen, over stuff that doesn't matter. You become contentious over stuff that doesn't matter. Style. Temperature. Volume, preference. It really doesn't matter. Y'all know I'm going to sweat every Sunday. Did y'all know that? It doesn't matter if we made it five degrees in here, I'm going to sweat. Did y'all know that? Tara's going to freeze every Sunday. You know why? It doesn't matter if it's 85 in here, she's going to be putting on a sweater. So we don't adjust to Tara, do we? Or adjust to me, do we? So what do we do? She puts on a sweater and I sweat. Okay. We're all happy. Sort of. We become polarized over stuff that doesn't matter. Then we become openly contentious and we break out in war. You know what the first sign of war is? Protest. I'm protesting. And usually protesting over stuff that's not even real. That doesn't happen around here, right? Then the next step, you become numb. You stop feeling. 
and you become a zombie and you just go through life and you just come to church, you go home and God's not moving in your life, God's not moving in your heart, you're just numb. You don't care about other people, you're just numb. You know, you just go through the motions, you're just numb. Just numb. Numb ain't no way to live, y'all. Right? Hmm. And then you die. Ninety-five percent of Southern Baptist churches are plateaued or dying. Do you understand why I teach this to pastors? 95% of Southern Baptist churches are plateaued or dying. And most of them are living in this area. Fifteen hundred pastors a month leave the ministry because of this. John? Right. It's true. Ernie, you've led big things. Isn't that true? So what do you do when you get here? You have to create a new curve. You go back to the vision and you start to dream again. To dream again. We start dreaming again. I promise you, as long as I'm your pastor, I'm going to be driving you back to the vision. Is that a deal? That's, a, and that's what we're, how we're going to function. We're going to keep remembering why. And you know, there's times I'm going to start looking back. Do you all know that? When I start looking back, what are you going to say to me? What are you going to say to me? You're going to say, quit it. Don't do that. Let's look forward. Let's look forward. What's in front of us, Scott? When do I have a, te- when do I have a tendency to look back, Wyatt? What day of the week is that? On Monday. That's why I write sermons on Monday. Because I, I want to get the juice going again. I want to get excited about what I'm going to aggravate you with on the weekend. And so it's that you have to keep dreaming the dream, keep dreaming the dream, keep dreaming the dream. I taught this to a church in Colorado uh, last month. Uh, It's a Hispanic church. And I talked to the pastor today. He said, pastor, since you taught this to us, we have come alive. We've come alive. And he said, there's been a rebirth of vision in in our family. And he took that and he taught the same thing to churches in Mexico. Now, I want to tell you where I got this. I didn't come up with this. I wish I did. But I developed it and modified it. But it started with a guy named Robert Dale who wrote a book in the late 70s called To Dream Again. To Dream Again. Rick Warren wrote his doctoral dissertation using 
Robert Dale's book. There ain't nothing new under the sun, y'all. Do you know that? Yeah. So when somebody says to you, Pastor Scott, all he wants to do is follow Rick Warren. You say, no, he doesn't. What he wants to do is follow who? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, Jake. Want to run away. <laughs> That's not good, is it? And what I should do is become a warrior. But a warrior needs a squad. Yeah. Okay, so let's pause a second and let's spend just a few minutes talking with each other. Which of these five commitments are you most passionate about? Connecting, growing, serving, sharing, or honor. So find four or five people with you. Talk for a second. We're going to be done in about 10 minutes, okay? So, uh, yeah, we're way behind our schedule, but that's all right. And I'm going to get you out on time, okay? Turn to talk to you. Which one of these five things are you most committed about? Find your peeps, three or four of you. Come on, you can do that. Turn around. Find some people. Come on, y'all. Don't leave anybody out. Trent's looking for somebody. Trent needs some people. All right. You're with a bunch of good ones back here. Okay, I want y'all to come back together. Y'all look at me for a second. We're going to kind of wrap things up. I know I want you to continue conversation over some ice cream, okay? Because I want you to keep talking. Now, I want you to give me some feedback. I want y'all to talk to me. What is one thing that's jumped out at you tonight that you went, oh? One thing you went, oh, kind of an aha. 95% of rural Texas is unchurched. Yeah. Did that jump out at you? That's sad, isn't it? Yeah. You know why we don't understand that? Because we live in the Christian bubble. That's why. Did y'all know Wimberley has a terrible problem with meth? Why? 
Jesus, they don't know Jesus. Jesus brings freedom. Yeah. They need somebody to love them. They help them find Jesus. What's up else that jumped out at you? The importance of shared vision. The importance of shared vision, yeah. Yes, ma'am, Britta. Yeah. Yeah. Billy, I have never seen you function in that way. So you've always been quite the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Could do the same thing, right? Yeah. A job. I don't care who's got the best job in the world. You get better, better, better. They used to teach the Peter principle. You rise to a point of incompetence and then you go down. Then you go to the government. Exactly. <laughs> Become a politician. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the definition of It is to dream again, to be revived. Revived. Ernie, I know you've done leadership stuff. You you teach this in business, don't you? Similar? It's all about renewed and revisioned and re. Now, there's times that I want to take Tara down memory lane to show her how wonderful our marriage is, but we can't live there. We can't. We can't. You know, and we need to look back from time to time to give God glory and remember what He's done for us, but that's not living in the past. And you notice with relationships, Richard? In our marriages, we become polarized over stuff that don't matter. Stuff that doesn't matter. We start arguing about. Yep. Any other aha moments? Jake? You start what? You've got to. Yeah, that's right. You know what, what happens with, with most churches when they start to decline, they do like couples. Couples say, well, if we have a baby, we'll get closer. <laughs> Children are the enemy to your marriage. Did y'all not know that? So this is what we say. When our church starts losing vision, what do we do? We build a building. We build a building. And it, it doesn't work. Buildings are tools, Right? When you need a building, you build a building. If you don't need a building, don't build a dadgum building. Yeah. We need tools. Buildings are tools. Right now, we don't have the adequate tools to minister to our students or to our kids. We don't even have enough adequate space for us to gather as a family. So we need to fix that. We don't have enough room in our parking lot to park our cars. So when we got the craziest parking lot in the world, <laughs> fix that thing. Would you agree? Magellan, he couldn't find his way. Captain Cook could be wandering around that thing. Okay? So it's, it's all about finding the right vision and doing the right things in the right timing. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Testify, sister. 
Yep. Yeah. That's right. Because it's Jesus that makes it. It's not our outward expression. It's our inward commitment. And our in com- commitment is expressed in love. In love. <laughs> My daddy used to say this. Son, it ain't how high you jump. It's how straight you walk. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, let me finish, okay? Let me finish with this, and we'll get you some, some, a treat for your endurance. The key it is applying the commitments is balance. So the priority of a God-honoring church, prayer. Prayer makes us aware. Prayer makes us aware. It's one of our values. Uh, Jesus Christ, our purpose for your church. And I want to pray this. I want to read this prayer for you. Jesus Christ, your purpose for our church is not new. They're as old as the New Testament, but each generation has to become recommitted to them. Forgive us for not letting for letting lesser things like tradition or finances or personalities control and drive this church. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will raise our church to meet the challenges of our community so that we may bring glory to you and fulfill your eternal purpose. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. So the priority, God's purpose number two, is expressed in the building lives commitments. In a God-honoring church, God's purpose takes priority over everything else. Number three, it's people. It's people. People are here to fulfill the eternal purposes of God, the purpose of God. That's why we're here. And then four is programs. Programs are good, but not programs, but no program is meant to last forever. Programs, and I wrote this in bold, and I want to read this because I wrote that this week, Pro, or two, actually two weeks ago. Programs are simply tools to help people fulfill the commitments. We must create environments where the five life commitments can thrive. Each life commitment is built upon the other, and God has designed us to live out all five in balance. If a program is not building people, it's time for it to go. Everything has a shelf life. God's purpose remains. Number five is property. Don't ever use a building as an excuse for lack of growth. We can go to double gatherings, triple gatherings, quadruple gatherings. Y'all, I preached as many as six times on a weekend. The same sermon, well, I never preached the same sermon, but a similar sermon six times. Now, I'm just dead dog tired when I finish. The church I worked at, uh, I was a teaching pastor in Detroit. They, Tara, was it five or six they did on the weekend? It's all on Sundays, and it was forever. Terry would say on Sunday afternoon, he said, you going up there and preach, I ain't going. I've heard you enough. And I think I preached three times in the morning and then twice at night, I think it was five times. Five times, because they wanted to reach people. What if we went to five gatherings here? Our staff just went, oh. But we, we need to do whatever it takes, right? Right. I have to also remember I'm not 20-something years old either. If you build too soon, you can limit your growth. Never let the shoe tell the foot how big it can grow. We design our buildings, then they design us. Build people, not places. Build people, not places. Property is simply a place to conduct a program to help people fulfill the commitments. Okay. Was this helpful? 
session one, and it is 7.30. I promised you I'd get you out at 7.30. We'll pick us up tomorrow in session two. And uh, that session one's the longest one, so I knew it was gonna take us some time. Uh, I've written a whole new session. Session eight is a brand new session. So let's pray we get there by Wednesday. Y'all gonna come back tomorrow night? All right, y'all bring some folks with you. Tell them how wonderful it is. And we can pick up at session two. Father, thank you for this group tonight. Thank you for what we're learning about being what you want us to be. And we pray this in your name, amen. All right, y'all go get something to eat. I'll meet you out there.